So folks, welcome to Forked Up Podcast with the one and only, thank goodness, and legendary Hard Deep uh, producer, comedian, I'll get chef higher up the, the spectrum, chef, um, celebrity and many talents, and the formidable Hard Deep, welcome. Thank you very much. I mean, also, I mean, affectionately known in Glasgow as that big arsehole. So I think that, you know, to cover the base, to make sure that my, the full description is in order. Are you sure that's just Glasgow that, that's known? It's astonishing we're friends, really, Callum, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the amount of abuse I get off you, it's like you're actually from Glasgow and not from the East Coast at all. No, it's very yeah. nice to see you. Yeah, okay. You're looking very well. As you, and you know what, I thought you've got to get into character when you want to like interview someone. So I know how passionate you are about being Scottish. I even stuck on my kilt for you today. So, say, is that a denim one? Uh, no, it's, it's, it's close to it. It's close Lovely. to it. I got it done by our friend at 21st Century Kilts. Good old Howie Nichols, but I've got one of his kilts very similar to that. Yeah, I got my first ever kill off him 20 years ago. Yeah, that's going back some. Well, you know, obviously you were still in kindergarten, son. (laughs) Certainly your wife was. I was on my second. I was was on my second wife by then. (laughs) So, hard deep. (laughs) Listen, I'm I'm cracking the jokes today, okay? No, you go for it, boss. It's your podcast. Nah, nah. So basically, what I've been I've been doing a bit of digging, and like everyone, everyone's got some plenty plenty stuff to be had. So how did you how did you get into cooking? How did you get into chefing? Well, it's interesting knowing that we were going to be chatting today. I had a, a meet, business meeting yesterday about a possible uh, restaurant venture, and you were very much. In my thoughts, you know, as you always are, whenever I do anything, you know, you and I have been friends and you've always advised and, and guided me. So um, it's nice to have you, you, your presence in my, in my consciousness that way. Um, I mean, I started, I was a very keen home chef. And then when I was on the telly, I said to my agent, I want to do Celebrity Master Chef. And she said, they don't do that yet. I said, well, they will do and make sure I, I'm on it. I'm the first series of Celebrity Master Chef. I got a gig and I was effectively the runner-up. In fact, to this day, John DeRode and Greg Wallace still argue about who should have been the winner. And Greg thinks I should have won. So that really kind of catapulted me into the world of food. Got to meet a lot of chefs. You know yourself, Callum, there's a... Particularly in London, a massive uh, intersection between the entertainment world and the food world. You know, so... You know... um, you know, so for example, you know, you look at the Ivy, it's full of people of, you know, actors off the theatre, for you know, telly execs and all the rest of it. And there's a big crossover. So for me, being on the telly and being involved in food, it was kind of double, double bubble in that sense. And again, there is, um, and as it is, you know, folk that, I mean, obviously a lot of folk know you kind of at a distance, but folk that actually know you and, and call you a friend, you know, um, so many people in the business, incredibly generous, incredibly thoughtful, you know, um, uh, incredibly welcoming. Uh, whenever I've come up to see you, I've always felt incredibly at home. And I think that's, you know, although you are like the king of that, you are the very best of that. It's not uncommon to have a level of, of, of welcome. It, it's weird. It's kind of a lingua franca. Food is like a, a currency all of its own. You know, I get into kitchens of folk I don't even know because they know I'm a chef, you know, and there is a generosity of giving in kitchens. So for me, it's perfect. Uh, it's perfect. And I, I love it. And actually, I kind of retired off um, from kind of the stand up and, and uh, moving away from the media, really, because I think with a, like a lot of folk during lockdown, you ask yourself some serious questions about what you want from life. My wings are grown up now. I don't need, you know, I'm not, not having to put them through university you know, and the rest of it. And I've had a great career. I want to do what I love now, and what I love is cooking and, and people, cooking for people, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I've always said, like, when people ask me about uh, what I think of food, and I always go back to sitting around the table with my nana, 
you know, there wasn't a lot of money going about, but we all sat down and a chicken, well, chickens were chickens back then for a start, but they, you know, you would devour the whole chicken and you wouldn't, you weren't eating massive portions, but you would all, there'd be a crumble. But you know what? Everyone sat and talked, they smiled, interacted, and it just brings pleasure and, and happiness to people. That's what I think of as food. And I it's think so you funny. just kind of summing that up. It's so funny you should say that. Um, we were out, my, my big brother was up um, from, uh, he lives in Hampshire now, he's a big senior policeman, and he, he comes up every six weeks or so um see my mum and dad. Uh, and he was up, I took him to a Kurdish place here, and, you know, I've, you know, ever since I've been born, I've been sat at a table with my big brother, and there's something about eating that takes you back to being four or five years old again. So, you know, my elder brother, you know, the firstborn boy child in a Punjabi house got all the best bits of meat. It's just the way it goes, you know what I mean? And that's fine, we all accept that. But, mm -hmm. you know, he would, he loved sucking the bones and chewing the bones. So, and I learned to do that off him. Mm -hmm. And I, I slag on my, you know, my girlfriend who's a, a you know, a Caucasian woman. Um, I'm having to teach her how to eat chicken the way brown people eat chicken. You know, it's those sorts of memories that I've ca you carried with you. And, you know, like, you know, like, you know, you know, you and I are doing okay in life. We can afford not to eat every bit of meat on the chicken, but there's something inside you. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that just, that, you know, food is, well, listen, particularly now, the reason I was thinking about yesterday, um, if I may, is I'm, I'm trying to set up a, a, a pay-as-you-go kitchen, pay-what-you-can kitchen mm -hmm. in Glasgow. I'm talking to somebody in Fife about doing something in January because it's bad enough that we've got more food banks than McDonald's, but folk actually can't afford to heat the food up at home. So I want to be able to offer a place where folk can come in. They can, my, my pals that have got a few bob can pay a bit more and people that I know that don't can pay a bit less and those that really can't afford it can have a meal and you know you put whatever you want in an envelope at the end of it no one counts no one checks you know um because so that bit, to me is... so, a, so a bit a bit like there was a tv show once and I can't remember what it was and the I can't remember if it was Gordon Ramsay or someone was in it and the, yes, what they yes. asked folk to Health put kitchen. is what they thought the val what the value yeah, yeah, yeah. Put put the value of what you thought that meal was. You know, everyone's perception is different for a start. You know, so you know, people value the customer service as much as they value the actual product that they're eating as well. You know. Yeah, I mean, this is what I'm already had folks saying I'm paying a hundred quid for a plate of curry because I want eighty pounds to go to other folk that can't afford to pay. You know, um, and I, mm -hmm. you know. That's really what you know we're trying to achieve here. It's, it's going to pay what, what you can afford to pay because the reality is, I mean, I'm sitting in the East End of Glasgow here, you know, and there are places not far from you in Stonehaven and you know, kind of uh, the suburbs of Aberdeen and Dundee, particularly excluding Brossy Ferry, um, where folk are you know struggling. They genuinely are having to choose between the heating or the eating, you know, and so yeah, that's that's, that's what we're, that's what we're going to do, and that's. And that's going to get worse before it gets better for a start, isn't it? You know, we're we're just away to hit a real turmoil in the next year. Really, it's going to be a tough old a tough old gig. So anything that can anything that can give give that smile back to folks' faces again, you know. So you know they can be coming out for something that relatively doesn't have to be anything fancy, but it's quality. It's making a happy memory, and if they can bring a smile to their face in that memory, it's a winner, isn't it? Win a win a hard deep dinner. Yeah. There you go. Right, thank you so much. I'm going to take that line right off. After that's it, it's gone. That's gone. That's fine. Um, no, but it, you know, it's the, you know, it's for. It's interesting. I brought um, I brought a friend. Uh, I brought my best friend up to, to see for fish and chips, and I, it was banging on. Going, Heather, we're going to see my pal Callum. We're going to go on our fish and chips, and she's like, "You've been talking about this for the week before we left." We're only there for three days and you keep going on about it. I'm saying, you haven't had these fish and chips yet, you know? And that's the reality, is the memory and the thought of your food and what you do inspires me. Even when I'm, I've not been up to see you since before lock. well, it was a year ago. A year and a half ago, I was up seeing you. And I haven't, now normally, ordinarily, before lockdown, COVID and all that, twice a year I'd be up. You know, we had, just before COVID, plans to do a wee roadshow thing and all the rest of it, you know? Um... But for me, in my darkest moments, it's food. It's food and folk. Just like you said, your earliest food memories. You mentioned your nan before you mentioned the chicken, you know? 
Because actually our food memories are about people <laughs> as much as they are about food. It's quite funny, actually, to roll back even to breakfast today. Um, my wife was making boiled eggs, and I don't know what she'd done. We've got Japanese knives, and she still managed to cut an egg open like it was a serrated chainsaw. You know, and there was <laughs> shell everywhere. And I, and I said to her, eating this just reminds me of going to my granny's house. You used to always get boiled eggs, and she used to have a knitted tea cosy that would go on the top of it to keep it warm. But she used to cut them open, and there'd be shell, shell everywhere. But if the egg had gone hard, she used to put a knob of butter on the top of it. And it's funny, and, and Victoria said to me today, and I, I said, look at the calories and the fat in that, you know, adding the butter. And she said, yeah, but how many fat people was there then? And the, it's true, there was none. You know, I know. There was... Well, it was funny, I've completely switched over. All my cooking has gone to olive oil, butter and ghee, having never used ghee professionally. Uh, I've done a lot of reading and a lot of mm -hmm. research, and actually it's this hydrogenated oil, vegetables and all that. You know yourself. You know, the kind of quality of oil you're using. And that's the first thing I tasted the first time. I'll never forget the first time I put one of your chips in my mouth. You know, it was that, you know, it was the best. It was, it was you know, it was the, listen, you've won enough awards. You know, you need another house to put your awards in, you know, you, you know, so you don't need me to tell you that. But yeah, it's, um, it is interesting how, you know, kind of growing up. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just you know, back to the gym trying to get back into shape after lockdown and everything. And I'm lucky in that I love eating healthy food. So I had chicken and salad last night. I love it. I can have that every single day, and I probably will. Um, yet still, I'm struggling to shift the weight because I'm 53. You know, your body's not that keen to lose weight, you know, particularly after, you know, um, the life I've led. It's like, geez, oh, let's stay alive as long as we can, you know? Anyway. I think I think COVID, you, you touched on a minute ago about COVID, how it kind of changed your perception on stuff. I totally agree with you. You know, I was... I was up and down the country, all over the world, flying around, eating what I wanted and living like a pirate. And COVID kind of gave you a bit of a reality check about actually what was really important at the minute. You know, it, it, it has changed the way people are now. I totally think, you know, people's perception of going out, you know... <laughs> People don't mind spending money. I think the hardest, the people have still got money just now in my eyes. Not everyone, but the people that have right. still got money, but they're just being careful where they're spending it now. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I if I give them a bad, if I give them a, if I give them a bad ahead. meal, you know, they're like, they're, they're likely maybe not to come back. Whereas before they would have not bothered them, they would have come back again anyway. Whereas now people are being careful. Two thousand and one was the last so... time you delivered a bad meal to anyone, as I can, as I remember. Two thousand and one could have been two thousand and two is the last time you delivered a bad meal. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, I think what I think what, must have been my day off. Must have been your day off. That's what he always says. Um, uh, I think it's different for us. You know, we've got so many friends in the business, and you know, there's a lot of folk who haven't reopened. Um, a lot of folk, you know, Brexit on top of, you know, COVID, you know, there are people, you know, struggling to find staff. I mean, an award-winning, there's a place uh, in Glasgow, it just won an award at the, the, the BBC Fish and Farming Awards, and it's having to close two sites out of the three it's got in Glasgow because it can't afford, you know, to remain open without staff to run it, you know? So I think that's changed. Um, and I think we need to... I think there's a there's a bigger revolution coming with food, I think, um, because I've I've sort of been saying, you know, we should eat less, eat meat, eat less meat, and eat less. I and mean, you listen, you were ahead of the curve with your sustainability program. You know, you never felt I've never felt compromised eating your fish, but while I'm eating it, I always feel really good about myself because it's sustainable fish. You know, if we can actually engage the populace to eat, to spend the same amount of money on, on chicken and meat and fish, but just make sure it's sustainable and better quality. And then maybe have two or three vegetarian days. I mean, there's no reason not to. There's some, you know, I've just made a, a big pot of lentil soup, you know. It's, you know, it's delicious. Lentil soup's, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a Scottish doll walk. I think, I think what people need to realise is a balance of everything. You know, you can't eat fish and chips every day. You can't eat curry every day. You know, you've got to get a balance of everything in your life. You know, meat's the same. But, you know, what's available to now to be hard? Say to people, and then you can't eat curry every day. 
they have curry every day in India. Well, <laughs> I know. Yeah, joking, but, yeah, but joking, you, the dif- there's a different. There's, yeah, but there's a, diff- there's a difference yeah. between eating. Yeah. So, but yeah. what I think as well, it's like gluten free. You know, Jesus, I, a couple of years ago, no, ten years ago, you would have never put anything gluten free in your mouth because it would have been like cardboard. Whereas now, yeah. it's it's night and day. You know, I've got I've got products on my menu at the bay that are gluten free. But I don't advertise them as gluten-free to everyone because I know that the general public wouldn't take it. They would moan about it before they ate it, you know, so it's perception. So, you know, people need to have variation without doubt. They do. But also, you know, I'm you know, putting the business plan together for this new place and, you know, with the, the challenge of an Indian restaurant, and I think it's the same with fish and chips. I mean, you know, I mean, your case is always the exception to the rule, but... You know, your regular chippy is going to be not so busy on a Monday and Tuesday, whereas in, you know, in Glasgow, at any rate, stared on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So with an Indian restaurant, folks mm-hmm. don't really want to have curry early in the week, you know, necessarily. So, you know, we put, we've put over to a vegan night. I'm doing a vegan night on a Tuesday, vegan vegetarian night, and I love doing that. You know, I'm not vegan or vegetarian, but it means I have to deep clean my kitchen. You know, I mean, you know, cross-contamination is a big, uh, you know, a, a big factor. For me and also it just it really improves me as a chef you know i've got to think about you know i've got to think about cooking in a different way i can't just rely on buying lovely meat and braising it i've got to cook aubergines and courgettes and they're you know and they're like and they're like you know and it's, it's it makes me a better chef you've got a fallen love with lover, and a much more sensitive lover <laughs> is that because you're thinking about aubergines again <laughs> I'm thinking about your courgettes, Callum, is what I'm thinking about, because I've heard it's a bit green and bendy at the end. Sorry about that. This is a business podcast. Why are you making it? So tell me, you, who was your inspiration in in cooking as you grew up? Um, well, a couple of people, actually. Hugh Fernley Whittingstone really inspired mm-hmm. me, because, you know, he's a, you know, he's a guy from absolutely the other side of the tracks. I'm the child of an immigrant that grew up with very little. He's an Etonian who you know, had a silver you know, collection of spoons in his mouth. Yet what brought us together, and he's you know, since become a friend, um, which is weird, um, is just his passion and love for food. And, you know, uh, the fact that he, he believes in nose-to-tail eating, particularly with pork, which is my favourite meat. So he, he's one. And Madra Jaffrey, you know, who again has become a dear friend through the years, which again is very weird. You know, to have to have her influence growing up, you know, um, it's quite funny in Glasgow. My pal's mum used to call Madder Jaffrey the Mad Hoor, which means something else altogether in Glasgow. <laughs> um, but to, can I have this again? Is you know, sociologically, it's interesting when you're a brown kid with NHS glasses and a turban in, in, in Glasgow, trying really hard to fit in and never fitting in. You are never truly accepted. <clears throat> then you see somebody like her on the telly, you kind of go, you're elegant, you're incredibly erudite, incredibly well-spoken, knowledgeable, talented. There's another sort of brown person out there. <clears throat> They're not Uber drivers. <laughs> not the Uber driver. I mean, I try to do some myself. You've got to believe within the hobby. Oliver inspired me. You know, um... Great chefs, Heston, obviously, you know, um, but a lot, a lot of restaurateurs. I mean, like Roy, our friend Roy, um, Roy from Ondine. Yeah. I mean, the, for me, the best seafood restaurant in the UK, you know, and his inspiration isn't just the cooking, you know, although it's really, you know, a big influence on me. It's how he runs his kitchen, the love in his kitchen, you know, the absolute camaraderie and the brigade's kind of love for him. You know that's hugely important I think, to me. I think, I think what's nice about like like Roy, you're saying there is his love is the passion. The passion he's got for his his business, his ingredients, his sourcing, everything. You know, right down. You know, he's he's really particular. Um, and and, and it stems back to the, the love and respect he's got for Rick Steen. You know, like yeah, a big a massive influence in his career you know and you can see that you know and the friendship that they've still got tells a lot about both of them chefs you know it's not just uh move on to the next one move on to the next one they've got total respect for each other you know it's 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 commendable really I you mean, know you know it's it's lovely you know um as a chef friend of mine john fell 
He works in Cumbria. Brilliant chef. He used to work at a theatre. I used to play. That's how we met. Um, you know, and he just the other day put on Twitter a recipe we shared. I gave him cauliflower, curry cauliflower cheese. You know, you've got a chef that I really respect, you know, and a dear friend that I love, you know, promoting my recipes online. You know, Mark Hicks, when he, you know, he had, um, it's funny, he thought it was hilarious that it was a brown fellow that was Scottish. He thought that was the funniest thing ever, right, Mark Hicks, when I met him. So he actually, we became really good friends, and he, he phoned me up one day, um, and he's actually got, like, ADHD or something, some sort of attention deficit thing. So when he speaks on the phone, it's like, it's like a gunfight. It's like da 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 da. Then big pauses, and reloading. Then fight, speaks again. And he said, uh, "Can I? I'm doing a recipe. Uh, can I name it after you?" And I'm like, "Oh, here we go." He's hitting the piss out of me now. Um, and it's called Hardeep Scotch Egg because it's a Scotch egg with Indian spices in the mash around it. You know, with kind of smoked fish and stuff. And you kind of go, "Do you know what? I'm ready to go now. Put me in the box." Hicksy's named a fucking recipe after me. Life doesn't get much better. But this is what I mean is folk, you know, folk remember the kind of, listen, I think Ramsey's a genius. I'll, you know, I'll defend him to the hill. But all the stuff with him and Marco, the cutthroat stuff is actually incredibly exceptional. Most chefs I know that are any good will welcome you with open arms. Sat Baines is another great example. You know, Sat, I, every time I smash down at the end of a shift, wherever I'm cooking, whether it's my place a pop-up, you know, a, a private dinner. I think of Sat. Sat taught me about the the integrity of cleaning your kitchen, which sounds really weird, right? But actually, it's the thing that I found hardest, but now I look forward to the most, mm -hmm. you know, and that's down to Sat. Apart from teaching me all sorts about cooking and being a genius, you know, that sort of thing, you know. And, and Angela partly taught me how, you know, it... it, it in a profession that's dominated by men, doesn't really matter if you're a woman, if you're as fucking good as she is, you know, and to work in her kitchen, I did a few stages with her. Oh, what a joy. She just, the respect, it's like no other, it's like no other chef I've ever worked with, you know, it's quiet. There's not a raised voice. The funny thing about her is, like, we were friends before we worked, before I ever cooked with her. And she would always call me hardy, hardy this, hardy that, till I got into the kitchen with her. She'd call me Sunshine or Big Man, because she was up in Glasgow. She never <laughs> used my name in the kitchen. It made me crap myself, because she's um, a formidable talent, an amazing, amazing cook. She, she's, she's got her parents, they were fish and chips. I think that's where yeah. they're, uh, what her mum and dad used to have, fish and chip shop. But she's, she's fantastic, her. I went down to... Is it Murano, isn't it? The right. restaurant. Yeah. I went I went I went I went there with a friend of mine a few years back now and she was eating vegan at the time and we were doing tasting menu, but it's the first time I've been somewhere that it didn't feel like it was a pain to ask for that, you know, whereas other places you you know, we're talking probably ten years ago, when you would ask something like that you'd have just got a sigh. Where it wasn't yeah. a problem. You know, it was like deal with it. And yeah. The food was not com the food's not compromised with it either. No, I mean the, the great joy um, about and I think you know she'll. I, I, mean, I hope she she uh, loves me for saying this. Is I think I think sometimes with a lot of male chefs I know when they first start out, it's a, there's a lot of testosterone in the cooking. You know, there's a lot of competition. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of how many ingredients can I put on this plate? You know, instead of What's the caliber and the provenance of the ingredients I put on the plate? And I always thought with, yeah. with Angela, the food, there was a simplicity about it. Great technique of highest order. But mm -hmm. the story was there to be told. It was very clear. You know, the fish was exceptionally well cooked. You know, the, the sauces were just delicious. Everything worked really well together, you know. But I, I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, interestingly, that, the um the idea that she grew up in a, in a fish and chip shop is a, where a lot of her humility comes from, you know, um, because to this day, some of my earliest food memories of the chippy, um, you know, in Bishop Briggs where I grew up, you know, for a lot of us. And the first meal we had when we arrived in Glasgow was the Philadelphia chip shop on Great Western Road. Mm -hmm. I was three and a half years old, fish and chips, and it was genius. <laughs> I've been trying was to find you now. <laughs> Oh, listen, 
don't fucking knock it till you've tried it. Pizza, pizza, was it pizza crunch? I don't, pizza I don't like the batter. Yeah. I like the, and also it's very difficult to explain. Have you had the deep fried pizza in Glasgow? I've, I've tried it before. It's fucking something uh, a different league. But I do get what you're saying. You get it without the batter, and you get it with the batter. So there's pizza crunch, and there's I can't remember what they call the other one. So you can have it without, and it, 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 but it's like that cheap. It's like the cheap bird's eye pizzas you used to get as a kid, isn't it? You know, it's not pizza you recognise. Again, there's a no. great story there. That was the imported pizzas that would come in fatsies on 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 the Brumelong. You know, they were brought over that you couldn't see the cheese. You could barely see the onion and the mushroom. You know, they were always vegetarian. <laughs> you know. But it was a bit of deep fried. It's a funny story. My mum used to make pakoras for us growing up, right? So pakoras for white west of Scotland and East Coast folk, I think, the bargey of the pakora is the starter before the main meal. But mm-hmm. in our house, the pakora is what you had while you were waiting for your meal. You know, sharp. you're hungry back from school, you're not having dinner until eight, so just eat a pakora the now. Um, and there'd be batter left at the end. And, of course, immigrant family, not want to waste anything, my mum would get a bit of plain bread cut it in half and use it to soak up the batter, deep fry that and put it on the plate. After a few weeks, that's all we ever wanted was bread to pakora. You know, it's mm-hmm. funny how these things, you know, she invented it as far as I, I know. Didn't know anyone else who was doing bread pakora in the 70s in Glasgow. You know, but it, that's... It's, it's like it's, it's like as a kid, if there was any bread that was needing used up, my mum used to cut bread into triangles and then she would fry it with castor sugar. And then put a dot of jam at the side. It's you know, it's same kind of same idea, isn't it? You know, it's used it up. There would be no way that was going in a bucket. I know, I know. It's um and there was another thing my mum used to do, if she'd made extra chapatis, she made them fresh every day. So she'd mm-hmm. be standing up while me, uh, my dad and my two brothers would be eating. So if there are any chapatis left over, they'd go a bit hard the next day. They'd still be edible, but not good enough for her family. She could tear them up. Mix them with butter and sugar, and make these little balls out of them. I mean, there's moments like that you realise why there are so many brown dentists, you know, because we eat sugary, sugary stuff. Let me tell you. <laughs> so, out of out of like um, all the things you've done, television, radio, what comedian, what what's What's your kind of what's your favourite out of all them things that you've kind of gone through? Because your career's it's it's gone back so far, and it's but it's it's like stepping stones to where you want to go, isn't it? Why? I mean, I love I love being on the radio. I love the radio so much. The wireless for me is the most intimate and most powerful form of communication and broadcasting. Um, Telly was fine, but if I never did telly again for the rest of my life, I wouldn't mind. I'd miss the radio. I miss the radio every day. Um, I love, I mean, I, I, I mean, I do also love cooking. I mean, I have uh, started, um, so during lockdown, me and my, my best pal started delivering curries to folk um, uh, to raise some money so that we could then send free food to nurses and to the pharmacists and to folk that were, you know, frontline workers during the white heat of COVID. Um, mm-hmm. And I've started doing that again just last week. I started up again, just me, myself, just like, you know, a dozen or 15 deliveries, you know, not making a huge amount of money, but I deliver them myself because I like to meet people. I like to meet those people that have been with me for three, four, five years. Some dear friends, you know, I've made, I've been delivering them food for three or four years because that's what I missed most through lockdown. You know, with all the work that fell away, and you know, I lost tens of thousands of pounds worth of work. You know, but I'm alive. Doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. I'm I'm alive. My parents are alive. My family are doing okay. That's the most important thing. But what I missed, what drove me to the point of suicide, Callum. If I'm not, if I'm being serious with you, was just mm-hmm. not being not seeing people, not being able to hug people. I lived behind a really famous. Italian cafe restaurant called Chilino's in the east end of Glasgow. Um, mm-hmm. I went to school with the, the family. I've known the family since I was seven years old. Um, and I remember the first time when lockdown was ended, I could go around the corner, I mean, 50 yards, and hug one of my best friends that's the manager there. You know, and we were both in tears because we hadn't 
we take it for granted. I'd walk by every day, sometimes twice a day. They've got an amazing delicatessen. So I'd pick up lovely ingredients. Mm. They're great cheeses and hams and all the rest of it. Brilliant bread. Or sit down and have a, you know, a wee meal and stuff. It was a great place to eat. You'd always get a table. Coffee was great. The pasta was great. That was taken away from me, you know. And so I'll never take that for granted again, you know. I think, as you said earlier on, you know, we've, we've all learned what really matters to us, you know. And, you know, like your, I mean, listen, your friendships matter to me massively. You've always been there for me through the years. Mm-hmm. Whenever I played Aberdeen, you always came, albeit looking for a free ticket, but, you know, we always come, <laughs> we always come down to Edinburgh TV <laughs> and the rest of it, you know. Um, and I couldn't come to, you know, I mean, I, I, when I think Aberdeen, I know you're a Stonehaven, but when I think Aberdeen, I think of you. And I wouldn't come without trying to see you. Mm-hmm. Also because you give me yeah. free fish and chips. You've never charged me for fish and chips in all the years I've known you. And it's many, many years, and it's much appreciated. What goes around in life comes around in life hard. So they tell me. So they tell me. <laughs> so, so tell me this. What, this new business venture of yours is really interesting. On. Explain it to me. Because mm-hmm. it's the sort of thing... Because I was just saying yesterday. Here's what I was thinking about you yesterday, right? Listen, I think mm-hmm. hopefully you'll agree. I'm pretty good at cooking. The cooking I can do... Menu management, I can do ordering, all that, minimizing waste, all that. I can do all that. I know how to order. You know, I know how to pair my food with my beer and my wine. I know how to set up a good restaurant at the front. What I'm absolutely rubbish at is the business side of running restaurants. That's why I don't have restaurants mm-hmm. because, and I'd, you know, I'd lose money because no, no one ever stops to teach you about the business side of things, you know. I never went to school the way the way think, but business studies. I think that's something though you find quite a lot of the time. You find a lot of good chefs that work in good restaurants, and they decide to go out on their own. It's, it can be a problem for them because they don't have a concept of actually what the costings of everything comes. It's not just you know, it's not just that lobster that's come in. It's about how to turn the lobster around, the time, the effort, and everything it takes into it. It's got to be equated into what you know the end result is. And chefs, all chefs want to have the best ingredients to play with, but they don't realise that the downside of that is you've got to charge a premium price at the other end to try and justify it. Um, but for me, the, the the new venture forked up 90 days. It's So for me, I, I've done a lot of consultancy all over the world, helping people open businesses, and I love doing it. But what's quite difficult with it is people... People don't know when they want you, and then when they want you, they snap their fingers. But unfortunately, life isn't quite like that. You know, you've got your own commitments. And and then also, you try and teach someone what to do, but deep down, they really know what they want themselves. They just don't know how to put that out, just like what you've just said. So for me, I, I was getting in a bit of a deep place over a year ago, just like things were coming to me and it was, business was running fine. Everything was, it was personal life I was struggling with, you know, and I thought I need to get in check with this. So I, I went and got a mentor and a coach to try and get me into check. And, you know, he's, he's highlighted things to me. He said to me, you're a connector of people, which, you know, I, I really, I, I have got a lot of connections. If I don't know someone, I know someone that can sort it. Um, and my skills and my vision, you know, I, I, I've got a really overactive mind, um, but I can't always implement it. So like at the moment, you know, everyone says I need to get on TikTok. I have no time for that. So I've got the ideas. I tell the staff at work, I want that done. You, you do it. So I, it's, it's the who, not how. So who can do this for me? rather than try to work out how to do something. You know, and that's what's really important in business. What's so lovely, in all the years I've known you, and it's been many, many years, I've never heard you realistically appraise your own ability like you've just done today, because you are. I mean, I always mm-hmm. pull your leg about it. I was sitting there having, you know, eating my chips outside the shop, kind of going, these award-winning chips are matched by the award-winning fucking gale that's blowing in off the harbour, you know. Um, you are, as far as I'm concerned... <laughs> It's the best chippy I've ever eaten in, and I can't see how there can be a better chippy in the world. But you've never, you've never up until today been comfortable with acknowledging that. So I think clearly, if what you're putting out to the world through mm-hmm. Forked Up is what you've received through your coach and mm-hmm. mentor, that's beautiful, you know, because you yeah. are fucking amazing. So it's, and you're saving the planet. I think, I think, 
you, you nailed it really there. So one of the things that he says is you've got to accept praise because quite often what you do is you deflect praise. So if someone praises you, you throw it back, oh, you're looking good too, rather than actually accepting that praise for that moment, you know. And you've got to get into your ego and drop the ego, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I, I'm actually writing a book at the moment and I was going to call it Battered Ego because I just thought, you know, you've really got to take a deep look at yourself. I think COVID's been good for this. That really makes you look at what you've got, what's around you. Uh, I had COVID real bad, you know, ambulances you? at the house and everything. And yeah, long COVID. And it really affected me big time. And it did make me really change in what I was looking at. So Forked Up is, it's it's a way, like I do I do this hot pen technique where you've got to think of what where you want to be in three years time and add fluffy bits, you know, don't just say you want to ride in a helicopter, you want to fly the fucking helicopter, you know, you've got to add fairy dust to it. And that's what I've been doing for the past year and a half. I've been really doing this and then you strip it back and work out how you can get to it, small chunk it. And it's unbelievable how, how, how much you can actually achieve by changing what you do. So Forked Up for me is about taking people on board for 90 days, evaluating if they're a new business, start a business or a business struggling. Then we can look at it and we strip the business down, find out what it, it, they want out of it, you know, because that's important first is what do you want to get out of this, you know? Um, so like when I was doing my hot pen technique, I find that I, all the times I like helping people, help, 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 all the time. So it, this makes sense for me. I can put my knowledge out there to people like you and say, right, you want to get this curry charity curry place up and running, right? Let's look at it. And I can strip you back and we can work it out and make it into small chunks. And in the 90 days, like I have, I have a journal being made so that you have to journal every day. Put down what you your positive thoughts, your positive mentality. Preempt the negative things that are going to happen so that you're ready for them on that day, and you'd be absolutely surprised at how many goals you can smash. So that's what kind of where I'm at. Described there is sort of exactly what you've done, perhaps unknowingly in your career. You never, you were never one for I'm doing all this big thing. You'd take a little bit at a time. You would deal with it. Find all the problems in that bit. So what folk are doing is, I want to have a restaurant. That's one big thought. Mm -hmm. Well, there's about 100 steps to get in there. You know, mm -hmm. and if you find all the, the issues and the challenges on the way, it means the net, you're kind of knocking out the next load of challenges before they become challenges, if you know what I mean. Yes. So I've got one guy it's, it's, it's been messaging me about um, signing up to Forked Up. And to be honest, he, he actually needs it, but I can't tell him how much he needs it. He's got to get to that point himself. But he, what, what he's, what he's saying is, can you not just come and do like a couple of hours consultancy for a minute? It's like you can't fix fuck all in a couple of hours, you know. <laughs> you know, it actually, yeah. you know, and he, and he's talking about possibly wanting to sell this business. And I said, you know what? You could take me in for ninety days, and I can tell you now, you'll make a better valued sale in ninety days from putting it in the best place you can. I mean, the other thing as well is, with the greatest respect. If you went in and did short-term consultancy, you'd probably make as much as you're making over 90 days, if not more. But I know for yeah. you, that's not satisfying. You want to stay with something. You want to see something grow and develop, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's what I think. So, you know, the value for money, I mean, you know. The thing is, we're coaching and mentoring. and that amazing hair for five grand, you know? <laughs> I know, and it's all mine, you know? Apparently so, I know. Jimmy Carr was on the phone saying he wants it back. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go put a suit jacket on then. <laughs> so that's very so, exciting. I'm very much looking forward to it. So uh, we'll, we'll get you signed up for this yet, Hardeep. I think this would be a pretty good, a pretty good thing for you to get your teeth into for opening this restaurant. You know, it's... I think as well the connection thing. So one of the one of the other things. So you get one to one. Obviously, you've got me all the time, and there's training programs, and there's going to also be uh, some guest uh, training. So it'll help people understand finances and things like that. So, you know, I mean, that's not my speciality, but I know people that can can give a little bit of advice into that area. But there'll also be. I've I've got this little kind of zone I'm going to have. It's called the hot uh, hot pass. So it'll be a live like on Wednesday on this platform recorded so if you can't make it you can watch it back but 
all the other people that are in, in that 90 days can all join. So if they've all got problems, because what I find is you learn more from listening to other people's problems because quite yeah. a lot of the time they're all similar or they might not be today, but it'll come into play in two, three weeks' time and you'll go, ah. But what you're doing there, what's so clever about that, about Hot Pass, is it removes my ego from the problem. I mean, if I'm having these problems and I refuse to concede they're a problem, but I hear somebody yeah. else, I'm not invested in that. The ego isn't invested in that issue. And I hear it clean, if you like. Exactly. And then what my plan was as well, that, you know, after the 90 days, if people wanted to stay together, I would maybe create something where we had a community of people that had gone through the 90 days where they can uh, help each other, influence each other and like maybe have meetups and stuff. So that's kind of the idea of it. It's, you know, I mean, it's obviously it's new, so it'll grow, it'll change over time um, because... One of the things that I've learned is you can't wait until something's perfect to launch it because everyone yeah. else will go past you with that idea. So you need to launch, then but, change But also it. There, are, there, are, there are imperatives within... I mean, this is, you know, you know yourself, right? You don't invest in, in, in a business, you invest in people, you know? So actually, there's a portability to the skill sets of the businesses you've set up. Those aren't just about food. You know, there are there are principles in that that apply to uh, manufacturing chairs, um, you know, mm -hmm. to, to you know, to selling cars. You know, b b business is bigger than the individual sector operates in. So it's going to be interesting to totally. see. I, yeah, because w one of the things was so like my mentor, he said to me, you know, about doing fish and chips. And, and, and I said, the problem with just doing fish and chips is everyone in my industry will tend to feel like they're doing good enough or who am I to tell them what to do, you know, apart from the few. And But then we said, look, food and drink and hospitality really is a, a niche market for you. But it's right what you said. You know, if someone came along to me and said, can you help me? I'm a hairdresser. I would probably say, yeah, I can. Because at the end of the day, the ethos and the principle is still the same. It's, it is really... What's really interesting is when you apply principles from a parallel industry to yours, because there's so much perceived mm -hmm. wisdom that blocks people thinking outside their comfort zone. Whereas if you bring something from hospitality into, you know, kind of hairdressing, you know, it might, it, it, it's that sort of tension that can, you know, that kind of uh, disruption, if you like, that causes mm -hmm. new thought and innovation. Should you get me to do the marketing fee? I'm good at this. Yeah. Could they talk me shy? Do you think so? I can't read yet. I've managed to make this career work for me. That's that's what they said to me in the Navy. Bullshit baffles brains. Yes. I'm the king of bullshit. Pretty true, eh? So, good question for you here. Right, what have we got? What's been your biggest failure in your career so far? But actually, has dealt you the biggest lesson. So you've, you've, you, you know, because this is one of the things that I'm teaching in ninety days. You have to make the failures to make the, the growth. I mean, I've only just discovered so what's, this what's, in what the we... last few years. Um, I, I work at you know, this is much more about the kind of creative side of what I've been doing. Um, I think I, I, I had an arrogance about my creativity, thinking it was enough simply to be brilliantly creative sometimes you've got to compromise sometimes you've got to play the game and i don't think i always played the game you know i think sometimes i was I stood stood behind what were good ideas instead of you know uh, making compromises that actually in the end wouldn't have made a huge amount of difference to anything you know but there again i've had a really good career on some of the eyes that kind of are still but I think, yeah, I think I, I could have. I don't think it was. I don't think I was always the easiest person to work with. Um, but I think it was. You know, I always try to be a good, a, a good guy, a nice guy. Um, so yeah, I think kind of perhaps not compromising. I think compromise is important. I think in the creative area, I'm much better at compromising with food than I am, kind of with my creative endeavor. I don't know why that is. Um, I always thought it was like an awful crime to compromise. Yeah, you know, your kind of your, your your script work or your TV work or all the rest of it, you know. Um, yeah, I think that's probably 
So that, that that again is a bit like ego, isn't it? You know, it's harder to you when you've got such a strong belief in something. So, like, especially if it's going to be in television, you are the face and you are the creative person. It's in that, so it's your way or the highway. Whereas with the food, the food is the audience, isn't it? You know, the ingredients. Yeah. So if it needs a little bit more salt or a little bit more peppers or courgettes, you know, you can adapt it. So really. The principles are the same in life, isn't it? So you think so. You can get the same result by adapting. Probably a better result by adapting. Yeah, I think also you know. I mean, but listen, I was I was young, you know, and I was, you know, and I and I, I to be honest with you, when I think about it, I hate myself for being like that because also it didn't afford me an opportunity to learn. I love learning, you know. Um, and also, maybe, it's a it maybe close it. It could have closed the door for you a lot, actually, couldn't it? I think it did on occasion, you know, if I'm being honest. I think it did. You know, but then again, mm -hmm. you know, I was a brown fella busting through all sorts of glass ceilings. You know, you know, I was the first to do all these things. I did really well, but then yeah, could I have done better? Could I have, I don't know. You know, I had, I had a great time. I've had a great career. I'm still gone. I'm only 53, you know, so, with, you know, see where... But what you, what you said there, though, you said, like, you know, could it, could it have been better, but... You can't turn clock back, but no, it, things happen for a reason. So, like, but it's, you are still young; that you've still got quite a long career ahead of you, you know. So, like, to to turn, if you look at the amount of years you've actually had a career and the amount of years you've got left, proportionately, you've still got a long career ahead of you. I know, but also this, you know, if if one is prepared to learn, you know, if I think about where I was ten years ago, and think of where I might be in ten years. You know, with the knowledge of the last 10 years, that's going to accelerate me further. You know, that's what's so exciting. Mm -hmm. is if you continue to learn and, you you know, your priorities shift and they change. But also the people you know shift. And, you know, I know, you know, guys I started out with are now channel controllers. They now run things mm -hmm. or, you know, you know, they're, they're successful businessmen or, you know, or, you know, whatever. They all moved up in, in the world and, you know, they're, so you're dealing with, you know, the same folk, but just at another level of the business, you know? Mm -hmm. But what's more, most important and for me so right what, now, what would you... if I'm being honest, in the next three months is to make sure people are fed over Christmas. You know, the homeless are fed and those on low incomes are fed. Our key workers are fed. That's the single most important thing for me, mm -hmm. you know? And I will so... do everything I can to make sure that happens. So that kind of leads on to my next question of what is the biggest challenge that you're currently facing with with your with with your new business kind of idea what's what's the biggest challenges you're feeling that are in front of you with that um i mean the answer i would have given you on saturday is very different from the answer i'm going to give you today um mm -hmm. because uh you know I, things changed there was um the, the challenge for me the, the challenge for me is to try and promote a business model that is unusual, that is mm. people that people don't necessarily understand. So I'm trying to sell this idea that, Callum, you come in, there's no prices on the food, you know, um, you pay what you can afford to pay. And if you want to pay a bit more to make sure, so you're paying, hopefully there'll be people like you who'll be paying more than the meal's worth so that people that can't afford to pay can get a free meal. Now, how do you, how do you sell the yeah. economics of that? You know, my challenge is, how do I know that's going to work? Well, I'm going to put my own money into it to make sure I'm running a business three days a week so I can support a charity three days a week and I get Sunday off because God said you're meant to rest on the Sunday. Um, <laughs> and I believe whatever she tells me to do. So, so what would be, in my eyes, what would be important there is... Not necessarily getting the people in. It's once they're in, it's about getting them to pay what they should pay or more, um, which is relevant to them. So it's about how to learn how to play on their heartstrings when they're sitting down eating that meal, isn't it? It's about the information. So it's no point in them just walking in to feel like, oh, this is a nice meal. That that was an amazing meal, and off they go. But when if they get if they've got some information, you know, yeah. look. I mean, the one advantage I've got is the, people are people that know me know. This is what I know that, you know, I I do this stuff. They know that's part of who I am. Anyone that knows anything about Sikhism, 
you know, not I'm not a practicing Sikh, mm-hmm. but I think we did some lovely kind of charitable citizen-based activities that happen in Sikhism, you know. So, I mean, you know, that's the challenge. I think we can overcome it. I think, you know, I'm a born communicator. That's what I'm meant to do, you know, just as long as, you know, we've got enough bums on seats that are paying to make sure that those aren't. And if we don't, do you know, I don't, I'll put my money, and I'm, my money's going into it anyway, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, the money, so we've got three days of charity and three days of running a regular restaurant as a plan. And, you know, yeah. uh, I don't need much to live on. You know, my kids are all grown up. You know, I don't, um, you know, I, you know you, I don't need much money to live on. But what you might find is, you know, what you what you open with and what it might be in a year's time be two different things, you know, or it might be a stepping stone to something else. You know, you might end up with I a takeaway what, service doing something similar. Exactly. But what's interesting is that all my vision, all my energy is going to go into running what I've set up. So I don't necessarily have the headspace to see what the future could be. So that's where somebody like you can have that step back. Yeah, that's important. You've been there a million times and you've kind of thought about this, you know. And that's also that keeps me that then, because you know, it's like you get into a bit of a dwam when you're right in the middle of things, Mm -hmm. you know, and it gets you down and. to be to be given the Im, Im, impulse and the, and the impetus to think about oh we could do that that just lifts your head back up again and you can remove you from your circumstances and then everything seems to run more smoothly you know I I I done um, quite early in my career I just came out of the navy and I was in, I entered um, Young Friar of the Year and I was in the finals and I seen in the local newspaper. There was um, Shell Live Wire Business Growth Challenge. It was for under 30s. So I thought, oh, I'll go and do that. I thought it was just a course, you know, and it would be it'd be good to go up against the other competitors and say, hey, I've done this, knowing that they hadn't done it. It was just something, something that would make me be a little bit more special than them. And I turned up on the west coast of Scotland, and I didn't realise this was a competition, but it was run by ex-army um, and special forces. So that played right into, into my sales. Uh, one of the things that they'd done, they'd done this test. For the life of me, I can't remember what it was called, but it's a worldwide known test. And you've got to answer A, B, C or D. You've got 20 minutes or so, and you've got to not think of the question. You've got to just answer the answer. And I, I, I fired it all the way through, and it came back and said, I was holding the business back because I was chaining myself to be the one that was only cooking. I, I couldn't stand back enough to watch the business and have the eyes. So I just had that tunnel vision and didn't stand back enough with the lens. So a bit like, you know, you with your production and stuff, you, you, you understand that. So it was quite a, quite a, quite an important learning curve. So I had to start thinking, right. So the person that does help me cook, is he as good as me? Well, he's good, but maybe not as good. Does he make good money? Yeah, he does. Is the place still clean? Yeah, it is. Right. So, Kind of, it's that ego thing, drop the ego, step back. And if I hadn't, when I went on five, six years later and won Fish and Chip Shop of the Year, I couldn't have gone to Japan, I couldn't have gone to America, I couldn't have done all these things. So you, know? you don't see this. You don't see this the same as those of us on the outside. It's always an absolute joy to come to the Bay because your staff are happy, you know? They mm-hmm. love working there. They've, you know, they've got their head... You know, you you step back, and uh, you know, of course, a fryer's not going to be as good as you if you're standing over him every minute of the day. You know, there's no room for for her or for him to develop. You know, but you give them a really rock solid training, as they all have. You step back and give them that space. You've got a great. I mean, you know, your staff retention is incredibly high. There's a reason for that. It's, you know, same with Sat Bain. Yeah, I lock, same I lock, I lock, I lock. I lock them in, I don't let them out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one form of lockdown, boss. That's one form of lockdown. I uh, know, totally true. Though. Lockdown, you know. <laughs> so, um, where do you see... Where do you, okay, then, that's, this, this leads to what we were just talking about. Where do you, where do you see yourself in three years, Hardeep? Do you, do you understand um, that or do you find that a hard concept? Well, what's interesting is having devoted, so, I mean, you know, 33 years in, 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 in the working world, the last three have obviously been very different. 
So the first 30, I was spending all my time kind of, you know, um, the next job, the next job, building, building, you know, higher, you know, higher up, more high profile, this channel, that channel, all the rest of it, this paper, that paper, second book, whatever. The last three years, I've retired away from kind of the media and the entertainment world and, you know, retired from stand-up comedy um, and the rest. Mm -hmm. um, find myself actually in a very similar position to you. I, I want to I have this skill set. So I'm a lawyer by training. I've got a law degree and I've got that unique experience, that life experience of having traveled the world, much like you have, seen a lot of things. A lot, I know a, a lot, I know a little of a little bit about a lot of things, you know, and I actually want to now start, you know, and the, and the world and society have been really good to me, you know, I've, we've all had our ups and downs, but generally speaking, I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunities I was given, mostly my mom and dad, you know, the BBC spent hundreds of thousands of pounds training me as well, and I got some great work there, but now I want to give something back, you know, so for me, it's about lecturing, teaching people you know, about the media, teaching people to cook. Um, it's about kind of consulting on architectural developments, which is a great passion of mine. It's making sure people are fed, making sure kids are going to school, knowing they've got at least one hot meal a, a day, you know. And I feel, you know, I, I feel I'm taking people with me. I, I'm, there's great, I put, this, I put this thing up on Facebook a, a month ago about this kind of pay what you can kitchen. And I was deluged with people saying, I want to help. I've been offered a premises in Fife. Another company in Fife offered to help. People from Edinburgh saying, we'll come and help. You know, there, there, there are more good people out there than we perhaps think. You know, so if I can be a lightning rod for those good people, if I can be a clarion call, if I, if I can use... Celebrities are a lot of shite, right? The one upside about being after telly is folk recognize you and perhaps if they like you they trust you you know um so if i can use that trust and that affection and that you know what little integrity i seem to have in the world if i can use that for 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 good you know then that's what i'm going to do you know that's my plan so back it's kind of back similar to kind of me in the way of you know, you like helping people and you want treating people the way you want to be treated. So you want to give back what you feel you've got out of life Absolutely. so far, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. You so know, for, um... so for, for one, one of the big things I've learned over the past um, year, would it be a year? Just over a year is being, I'm heavily dyslexic, so reading books has never been something for me. Two books I've read, apart from James and the Giant Peach at school, um would have been Sting's autobiography and actually Gordon Ramsay's autobiography. And both times I was in Maldives and it, like I knew I needed something to do, so I, I took a book with me. And, and I quite liked it, but it, the enjoyment of reading is outweighs reading it. You know, it's like, it's a disaster. So for me, someone said to me just over a year ago, you should get an Audible. So I thought, right, let's, let's just do that. Oh, well, big time for me. I've done 40, book, 40 books in a year, you know? And it's like, Amazing. Jesus, how much How much have I held myself back? So on that, what what three books would you recommend to the people out there a good, worthwhile read That's or listen? Um, so, okay. It's funny you should say this. This always happens when you and me connect up again. All these little coincidences occur. So it's my nephew. Mm -hmm. um, my elder brother's son is a writer. And he's on his way, um, kind of writing his first novel and stuff. And so as that, the other, you know, you've got two other writers in the family. I feel very close to him for that. And, you know, I've kind of sent him books in the past. And I just, it was his birthday a couple of weeks ago. I've just sent him today um, a book uh, called Lanark by Alistair Gray. Um, mm -hmm. Which is, now, again... Coming from Glasgow, growing up, a kind of no mean city, 70s, you know, like Glasgow was not a pleasant city in the 70s. It was dark, it was dank, it was confused. Massive bits of the city were ungovernable by the police. You know, we were run by the gangs. It was not a great post-industrial town, high unemployment, low death, low, 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 low living uh, standards and the rest of it. But this book, set in Glasgow, written by Alistair Gray, was a work was a work that changed the world of literature. 
So, you know, kind of magic realism of a unique sense and incredible storytelling, ultimately flawed. I mean, it, it doesn't work, but it's come mm-hmm. so close to working. And that's what's so fucking Scottish about it. You know, we are almost brilliant. But we are actually brilliant when we're almost brilliant, you know. Um, you know, we sometimes, we don't know our own history in this country. We don't know that without Scotland, there would have been no Industrial Revolution. You know, we invented everything that ran the Industrial Revolution, you know, from you know, the, the, the train, mm-hmm. the, 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 you know, the, the, the jet hammer, sectarianism, all invented in Scotland. Um, so that's one book I'd recommend. Um, another, uh, interestingly, is um, The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie by Muriel Spark. Because um, it's, mm-hmm. it's a tiny book. And I think it, um, such an incredibly gifted writer uh, who can, there's one, there's a transition over six, a six month transition that happens through a paragraph seamlessly. Brilliant, brilliant writer. In fact, Ian Rankin mm-hmm. uh, was writing his PhD about Muriel Spark, his unfinished PhD about Muriel Spark. Um, I mean, on that note, I mean, any Ian Rankin book is worth a read. A genius, uh, brilliant, brilliant writer. I think finally, <laughs> I suppose surprisingly, The Fantastic Mr. Fox by Roald Dahl, which yeah. I attribute to my sense of socialism, my sense of redistributing, my sense of fighting kind of capitalism. Um, I, 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 think... I, I would have never known you were a socialist. <laughs> Definitely not a free market here, Cal. Um <laughs> You know, I think I think um, I used to tell my kids when my kids were wee, um, and I'd be dead tired and come out. I don't want a story, want a story. I couldn't think of anything, so I invented this gobbledygook language that would tell this story in complete fucking nonsense, and I'd drop the odd word in that they recognised, and and they loved it, and and the you know and the and one of our babysitters who was just on her way in heard me, and she was like, "Oh, keep going, that's really funny," and it was that one of those moments. Um, where you've entertained an adult and a child at the same time. And I think that's what Dahl does so amazingly in pretty much everything he's mm-hmm. written. You mentioned James and the Jam Peach. I thought that was a very different book before I read it. I was disappointed. I was looking for a different sort of peach. <laughs> I, uh, w- one of the ones, actually, I finished a good one last night, actually. It was Waypoint by Sam uh, Hain from Outlander. And... Oh, yeah. Quite, quite a good book, but I really felt part of it, and I didn't know this was going to be part of like the reasoning for it. But at the very start of the book, he explains that it's the last day shooting of season six in Glencoe, and um, they'd originally done it in the they they'd originally done it in um, the studios, but the directors decided they wanted to shoot an outside scene. But they'd asked me along to cook for that. So I was up on the up in the the hills in Glencoe, wow. cooking for them. You know, I'm 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 am sitting in the van watching them acting out this scene, not knowing what scene it was for or anything. And I've always been pretty good. I never post any pictures because I want to go back. I don't want to be seen to be just promoting being there. And but he goes on about this. But that day he'd been out for a run and thought I must do the West Highland Way. And that day he jumped on his motorbike at the end. And which I was actually speaking then because I got him to sign some whiskey bottles for me to auction for charity. And then the next day he walked the West Highland Way. And I'm thinking, when I'm reading this book, and I'm thinking, Jesus, I was with him at that point, that filming, just before he jumped on his motorbike. But I'd done the West Highland Way this year. And as he's going through the West Highland Way, you really felt, I felt I was part of the journey because I knew exactly where he was on the journey, but I felt like I was part of it from the day before as well. And it was like, it was quite, quite, yeah, but I believe things happen for a reason. Well, it's funny, I'm just finishing the audiobook of Frankie Boyle's novel, Meantime, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's top 10 books of all time for me. But he references yeah. all these places in Glasgow, all of these places in Glasgow that I know really well. That I'm, that one of the which I'm about to go to. to, to yes. So you, you, you're, family. you, you're already in that journey, aren't you? Yeah. You know. But also, I mean, such an incredible intellect. 
I mean, I would go as far as to say Frankie's a genius, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it troubling, you know, tr- but not troubling the way you might think, but existentially, his philosophy and, and why we're here and all the rest of it, I find incredibly disconcerting, you know, but br- mm-hmm. brilliantly so, it's making me think and, and all the rest of it. Right, last question. Uh, like, well, I'm not finished. I was away to say about black box thinking is another great one for me. It makes you look at, you know, it's okay to fail because if you don't teach yep. people that it's okay to fail, then the, the mistakes are never sorted. You know, that's that's been I, quite a big I one for a, me. I used to do a line on stage. I, I show you've probably heard this a, a few times. I mean, I've made more mistakes cooking than you've had hot dinners. You know, and you've probably had a few more hot dinners if I hadn't made mistakes. You know, I mean, for me, <laughs> if I'm any good at cooking, it's because I failed so often. My son used to have a thing. We had uh, two toilets in this flat in London, a wee WC, a guest WC, and a proper bathroom. And they said the proper bathroom's for having a bath and go to the toilet, and the guest WC's for dad's sauces so he can flush them away. And he wasn't wrong, you know, all the way through MasterChef. I, I was fucking busy in that toilet, Cal, let me tell you, son. All right. So, is there a question that you would have liked me have asked? Is there something that you are... One question that you would no, have... No, I mean, I think, it's, I, think it's it's, I mean, it's different if it was being interviewed by somebody I didn't know. That'd be different. Mm-hmm. But I think when it's a friend, and a close friend, and a, and a respected and admired friend, to, without sounding like a knob, it's just lovely to talk to you. You know, I'm just happy you mm-hmm. asked any questions. Good. So, where can the listeners follow you, find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, Facebook, um, all the usual places, Mr. HSK, M-I-S-T-E-R-H-S-K, and probably twice a year, uh, Stonehaven at the Bay, double-handing the best fish and chips <laughs> in the world, and I'm a big gob. No, but listen, you know, you're, you're a visionary. You're a visionary before you knew what a visionary was. You know, you, you, Thank you. the reason why I, I love you as much as I do is because with the greatest respect to you, you put one foot in front of another. You didn't in the early days. You just did what was right. You went instinctively. You invested in yourself and you invested in your own business. And there's nothing makes me happier. Nothing makes me happier than watching you fucking fly, brother, because you deserve every minute of this success. And the fact that you're here now prepared to give back for what is a knockdown rate people you know you know you could mm-hmm. you, your consultancy rates are much higher than what you're charging for this for the you know the time and the attention people are gonna exactly. get you know that's who you are and you know if i have to eat your fish and chips free for the rest of my life so be it callum so be it <laughs> i'm not gonna find the place a public opinion Ardeep, thank you very um, much for being my first guest you, my on forked up big love thank you I feel honoured.